Well, hello, Oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. And your co-host, Lexi. And this is Oddities on Elm Street. Street. If you joined us last week, then welcome back. Hello. This is your first time here with us, and thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and maybe you'll stick around for a bit. Today, we're going to be doing an episode on some unsolved mysteries. Mm. If this is something you guys enjoy listening to, then we can definitely make it a series, but... Before we get into that, I do want to provide an update on the Delphi murders case. Ooh, yeah. If you're unfamiliar or you just haven't heard of this case, I'll give a brief synopsis before giving you the update. 13-year-old Abigail Williams and 14-year-old Liberty German had been dropped off for a hike along the Delphi Historic Trails on February 13th, 2017. When they didn't make it back, by the agreed-upon time, they were reported missing. Their bodies were found the next day on February 14th in a wooded area about a half mile from the bridge that they were dropped off at. Police recovered their phones from the scene. On one of the phones, a grainy video of a man walking and saying, down the hill is seen. They first arrested a man named Ronald Logan. The bodies of the girls were found on his property, just 1,400 feet away from his residence. Hmm. When questioned, Ronald provided a false alibi and had even asked someone to lie for him in order to back his alibi up. Uh. Ronald was never charged in connection with the murders, and he died in 2020. It's not exactly clear whether or not police believe Ronald to still be involved in this case. When Abigail and Liberty were found, it was clear that they had lost a lot of blood, so whoever the killer was would have been covered in it. Their bodies were also moved and posed, and it's believed that the killer took some type of souvenir, possibly some of their clothing. Another person that was investigated was a man named Keegan Anthony Klein. He was found to have profiles on Instagram and Snapchat that he used to target underage girls. I <clears throat> I re- did read that. Yeah. Like, how yeah. messed up. Go he's, die yeah, in a ditch. Exactly. He's trash. He used a fake name and fake pictures to communicate with them and convince these minors to send explicit material. And when I say communicate with them, I don't mean specifically Abigail and Liberty. I just mean these minors. Yeah, these young girls. Um, He even had plans of meeting up with some of them. Mm. Uh, He was later arrested for charges unrelated to the murders and is no longer considered a person of interest. So it's now been over five years since the murders have happened, Mm -hmm. and police have now arrested 50-year-old Richard Matthew Allen. Two days later, he was arrested with two counts of murder. Two days. Mm -hmm. He pleaded not guilty and is currently refusing to cooperate with the investigation. The police haven't said much about the case, and the probable cause affidavit is currently sealed, Um, which I'm assuming is to protect the integrity of the trial. Right. A neighbor of Richard's told a news source that they saw police show up to his home with a search warrant and leave with multiple items. The craziest part of all of this to me that nobody seems to be mentioning is the fact that Richard was employed at CVS. After Abigail and Liberty's murder, a family member of theirs went to the CVS to print pictures for their funeral. Not only was Richard working at that CVS during the time, but he actually assisted this family member with printing these photos, and he even told them that he wasn't going to charge them for the prints. Like, what type of person do you have to be to help print pictures of your victim for their funeral and just be like i'm just lending a helping hand what type of psychopath so richard's trial is scheduled to begin on march 20th of 2023 
And of course, if there's any more news on the case or any other cases, we'll be sure to keep you updated. And I just hope that this brings some, some form of closure to the families involved. At least a step towards it. Exactly. Like, I can't imagine. All right, now let's jump into the topic we have for today because there's a lot to cover. I'm very excited. And honestly, when I was typing this, I was spooking myself out. I really was. Like, I was getting very paranoid. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) Hello. Is there anybody here? Yeah, I was really... Okay, I'm I was, excited. I was, ooh, nervous. <sighs> okay. What you got for me? Uh, the first case we're going to be talking about is probably one of the most unsettling things I've ever heard of. So, just buckle in. That is the disappearance and the deaths of Lisa Ann Froon and Chris Kremers. I don't think I've ever heard of them. I think you have. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word on it. <laughs> So these two Dutch women were in their early 20s when they disappeared. And this happened back in April of 2014. They had been planning a hike in the Panamanian jungle. Ah. And they set off on their hike on April 1st. Right. Not realizing that they would never be seen again. They'd both saved up money for six months and planned to be gone on this trip to Panama for six weeks. During the trip, they hoped to get the chance to learn Spanish and to volunteer to work with some of the local children. How good of a plan. How lovely. Right. Amazing people. This trip was also meant to be kind of a reward to Lisanne for graduating college. Lisanne and Chris were very close. They attended college together, worked at a cafe together, and a few weeks before this trip, they had actually moved in together, and they became roommates. They arrived in Panama on March 15th and began a two-week tour of the country before arriving in Boquette on March 29th. When they were in Boquette, they lived with a local family for a month while volunteering with children. And then on April 1st, around 11 o'clock, they went hiking on the El Pianista Trail. I hope I'm saying that right. Doing your best. Um, And this trail isn't too far from where they were staying in Boquette. They planned to hike the forest surrounding the Baru Volcano, which sounds super cool. That sounds like a really cool hike. Basically, they were trying to make it to the Continental Divide, which Hmm. would take them about four hours to get there and then four hours back. Okay. So an eight-hour round trip. That's a long time. Yeah, that's that's a very long hike. But they were both very athletic and really spontaneous. Good for them. They were just like, we can do this, right? So the reason we know that this is what they intended to do is because before they took off on the trail, they posted on their Facebook accounts. They were also seen having brunch with two young Dutch men before they made their way to the trail. But these, I guess, were men that they knew. Oh. So. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing suspicious. Yeah. Also, before they left for their hike, this is important. They're said to have taken their hostess family's dog with them. Okay. Hmm. Because it was only supposed to be a day hike. So when the dog returned home that night without Lisa and Chris, the owners were instantly alarmed. Oh my gosh. With Isn't that insane? The dog made it back through the jungle to its home. What a dog. Do you know right? his name? Blue. <gasps> yeah, we love Blue. Oh, Blue. So obviously the hostess family became worried. They notified the girls' parents. Lisanne's parents also noted that it was around this time that they had stopped receiving text messages from her. Hmm. Did they have service on their hike? 
I'll get to that. Okay. Yes. Um, but both of the women had been sending their families, like, daily updates. Okay. So this was still strange. On the morning of April 2nd, they missed an appointment with a local tour guide. They were then reported missing to the Panamanian police. On April 6th, both sets of parents had arrived in Panama along with detectives from the Netherlands to conduct a search. They set up a search of the local forest that lasted for 10 days. Hmm. There were aerial searches, canine searches, and the local people helping search on foot, and still after 10 days, they turned up nothing. So, the police from the Netherlands and And Panama, the Panam- yeah. they got together? Yes. Good for them. We yeah. need to do that more often. Right, right. So, it was at this time that the parents set up a $30,000 reward in the hopes that anyone with information on their daughter's whereabouts could come forward with Mm -hmm. information that would help this investigation, right? But it wasn't until 10 weeks later, on June 14th, when they finally got something. 10 weeks. 10 weeks. An indigenous woman went to the police and turned in a blue backpack that she reported finding by a riverbank, and the backpack belonged to Lee Sam. Mm-hmm. What's crazy, though, is that the backpack was found in a village that was 12 hours from the Continental Divide. Now, remember, I said the Continental Divide is where they were supposed to be hiking, and it should have only taken them a total of eight hours to go there and back. Right. Inside this backpack, there were two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, Lee Sand's passport, a water bottle, two bras, both of the women's phones, and lastly, her camera two bras yeah they were either like bras or like bikini tops so Hmm. i don't know if they were planning on going for a swim while they're on their hike i mean i know the area has like lots of waterfalls okay so maybe that's something they were planning on doing the backpack was completely dry remember she found this along a riverbank the backpack was completely dry nothing inside of it was broken and all of the money was still there right it's very strange yeah but this is where things get disturbing the phones showed that a few hours after beginning their hike there was a call made to 911 and to what is it 112 i think it's 112 is like the the emergency line in the netherlands yeah 112 so a few hours into their hike uh, was when the first 911 call was placed. The first call attempt was made by Chris's phone, and the second attempt was made shortly after that on Lee Sand's phone. But unfortunately, none of, the, none of their calls got through to authorities due to bad reception. They're in the jungle. Well, <clears throat> right. I mean, if we have bad reception at your house, can you the imagine jungle the jungle? Is, yeah. Right. And unfortunately, none of their calls would make it through. So, remember I said the women went missing on April 1st, right? Mm-hmm. On April 4th, authorities could see that Lisanne's battery had died, so her phone was never used again. Chris's phone didn't make any more attempts to reach 911, but it was repeatedly turned on to search for reception. Between April 5th and April 11th, Chris's iPhone was turned on multiple times, but whoever was using it was putting in the wrong passcode repeatedly. <gasps> it may have been Lee San trying to Whoa. get into her phone. Right. And at this time, we don't know if Chris was 
incapacitated, if she was dead, and that's just a very scary... Until the 11th? Until the 11th. They went missing on the 1st. That's 10 days in the jungle. It's very scary to even imagine that scenario. So yeah, obviously we don't know who is turning this this cell phone on, but they don't know the passcode. Uh, Chris's cell phone was turned on for the last time at 10.51 before permanently being shut off on April 11th at 11.56. So the phones had remained in service for almost 10 days after they disappeared. Over just that four-day span, 77 separate attempts had been made to call the police. So they were desperate, and that's horrifying. I can't. Even, I have chills. I can't even imagine. Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven <clears throat> times they tried to call police within within f- four days. So back to Lee San's camera. Mm-hmm. That contained photos from April first, suggesting that they had taken the trail to the overlook of the Continental Divide. Okay. And that they had wandered back into the forest hours before their first attempt at calling 911. Now, on April 8th, there were 90 photos taken between 1 and 4 a.m. Now, if you think about that, that is like one photo for every two minutes, okay? And all what? of these photos had the flash of the camera on. <gasps> In the photos, it appears as if they're still in the jungle and surrounded by, like, complete darkness. Some of the photos appear to show the girls' belongings spread out on rocks. Plastic bags and candy wrappers, mounds of dirt, and a mirror can be seen. So all just very random stuff. Another photo shows the back of Chris's head with what looks like blood leaking from her temple. The discovery of the backpack led to new searches along this river. There, they find Chris's jean shorts on a rock, only a few kilometers from where Lisanne's backpack was discovered. And two months later, even closer to where the backpack was found, they find a pelvis bone and a boot with the foot still inside. You said that very casually. (laughs) They found a boot with the The foot. foot still inside, with a sock on it. Yeah. Um, so they did uh, DNA testing, and that confirmed that they belonged to both Chris and Lee San. Oh, my God. Yeah. Soon after this discovery, at least 33 widely scattered bones were discovered along the bank of the river. And yet again, 33? DNA... 33 bones. And yet again, DNA testing confirmed that those bones belonged to Lee San and Chris. Lee San's bones still had skin attached to them, and they looked as if they had decomposed naturally, but there were fractures seen in her bones. Oh my gosh. Chris's bones appeared to have been bleached. Stark white. Excuse me? Bleached? Isn't that so strange? Like, from the sun? I don't know. I don't know how that happens. I don't know. And only her bones? Yes. Lisanne's bones were fine. And the it, it didn't say anything about the 33 bones that they had find that they had found being bleached at all. So I'm assuming it's just that pelvic bone. 
that they found. Weird. Yeah. So obviously during their investigation, police questioned the locals, they questioned tour guides and other hikers who were in the area at the time, but no one could provide any evidence as to what could have happened. And there was never enough evidence to determine their cause of death. So to this day, the disappearance and deaths of Chris Kremers and Lisa Ann Froon remains a mystery. The case is pretty much closed in Panama. Yeah. Just as like, well, we don't know. So, so they just assume the girls had probably gotten lost. They wandered too deep into the jungle. Did they just scattered their bones across maybe, the river. I mean, maybe Chris fell, hit her head. They got stranded without any help before dying of exposure, starvation, any number of things. I mean, they have animals. I don't know. After all, they did only bring one bottle of water each and very little food because it was only supposed to be a day hike. Right, right. What's strange, though, is that from the camera, we can see that there's one last happy picture that they're posing for. Picture number 508. And then suddenly, the first nighttime photo begins at number 510. It was taken seven days later. Uh. Seven. So there's a seven-day span. Where is picture number 509? That is Wait, like, that's missing? It's missing. And this is, like, the critical turning point, right? Because they go from being happy during the day, hiking like they planned, to all of a sudden, it's nighttime. And there's a And they're in the middle of the jungle. And we have no idea what happened in between. And it was seven days with no pictures. I feel like that's, that is crucial information. And a lot of people don't believe that this was just a case of them deleting this picture from the camera roll. It's also strange, if you think about it, like, if they were lost in the jungle, who has the time to, like, go through 500 pictures and delete one? I don't one? like this one. Right. It doesn't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. The other thing is that even if the picture was deleted, there's a way that you would be able to restore the picture unless it was permanently deleted from the SD card. But in order to do that, you would have to plug it into like a PC. You know, you'd have to plug it into a laptop or a computer to delete it. Because it, yeah, well, that's what people are speculating because how else do you do it? Right. There should be the ability to like restore that picture if it was just deleted from the camera. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because usually it's still on the SD card. But like why they would, how they did it. PC out into the jungle. Like, right. But remember, this camera was found in Lisanne's backpack that was 12 miles, 12 hours from the Continental Divide along a riverbank, but wasn't wet and everything was in perfect condition. How did it get there? Wait, so the backpack was found separately, like far away from the bones that were found? The bones were found even closer to where the backpack was than where Chris's shorts were found on the rock. And Chris's shorts were only a few kilometers away from the backpack. So the bones had to be even closer to the backpack than that. So did this lady who found the backpack, did she mention bones? Is that hopefully what happened? No. Nope, she just brings the backpack in to the police and drops it off and says that she found it. She says that she found it in a rice paddy along the river. and that she goes out there every day and that it was never there 
except until on this day, day until that day which, which was, was 10 weeks after the girls disappeared what the heck? Yeah. and everything was like fine and everything was fine so it wasn't like it just washed up from the river or was there for or was there for a while exactly in the jungle exactly. oh my gosh yeah obviously this creates like more questions than answers right um, there was also found to be a large amount of fingerprints on the belongings of the girls, so it couldn't really be narrowed down to just one person. But we do know that this woman found the backpack. Maybe she brought it back to her village and it was tossed around a little bit from person to person. I don't know. Right, like, hey, is, is this yours? Right. When Chris's shorts were found, it's said that they were neatly folded with the zipper still up on this rock by the riverbank, but that's never been proven. We don't know that for sure. Right, because, like, how would we? Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's just so many possibilities with the case that right. people are just throwing theories left and right. So it's like, whatever what? happened to them, we might not ever really know. That is just bonkers to think about. Like, yeah. And have you seen the pictures? Mm-mm. They're so eerie. It, like, makes my stomach turn just... Of, to... like, when they're, like, using the flash? Yes. Because it could literally be, like, somebody's last moments that you're looking at and you don't even... You know, it puts you in that in that scenario and makes it a lot easier to imagine what that would be like. Because was it, like, they're almost using it to try to, like, see that, out? It could be that. It could be... Yeah, so it could be that they were using it as almost like a flashlight to try and find their way out. I mean, after all, it was like two... It was, what, a picture per every two minutes for three hours. That is so much. And the other theory is that search parties were searching on foot. (gasps) I see the boot. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... (sighs) Scary. So the other theory with the flash on the camera is that the search parties were possibly searching in the forest and the girls were using the flash on the camera to try and get their attention. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And another theory is that there was possibly like some wild animals in the area that they were trying to scare off. But, and I mean, all of those theories make sense. Right, like they're valid possibilities. Right, and that's what I mean is with this case, there's just so many... So many possibilities, and it raises more questions than answers, and it's that's what makes it. It almost so makes it more difficult. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. I can't imagine like being the parents and just never knowing what your children's last moments it's look like, or not even last moments, like last days. Yeah. Oh yeah. If they were alive that entire time, it's just it's wild to think about. Oh, yep, okay. I see they're... Yeah, I mean, it's obviously nighttime in the forest. Just shooting at random things. Yeah. But it's said that that area is heavily hiked by tourists and local people and that the trail is marked very, very well. So if they were to have gotten lost... It's most likely because they went off the path. Hmm. But, again, 
They knew where they were going. They were going to the Continental Divide. They knew that that would take the four hours there, and it would take four hours back. And then to have the backpack be 12 hours? 12 hours from that. How in the heck? And for the dog to have made it out, but them not being able to, it's just, I don't know. It's just doesn't make sense yeah all right so the next case we're going to be talking about is the disappearance that's it there's no more yeah that's it bro that's it that's that's what i'm saying how frustrating was this that was in 2014 yeah 2014 april and there's just nothing There's been nothing since then. But like I said, it's like a closed case in in Panama, pretty much. In the Netherlands? I don't know what's going on with it in the Netherlands. I don't know. But that's... it. They never had the evidence to rule anything out or to say for sure that this is what happened, you know? So it's just up in the air, I guess. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) It's so frustrating. The next case we're going to be talking about is the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. Brandon was a 19-year-old college student from the small town of Marshall in Minnesota. Shortly after midnight on May 14th, 2008, he drove his car into a ditch on his way home from a small gathering with some fellow students at a home in Canby. At this gathering, they were celebrating the end of spring semester and also had a little send-off party for one of their classmates. So he was uninjured from this incident. He got out of the car and he called his parents on his cell phone. This call was placed just before 2 a.m. While he was on the phone, he explains to his parents that he's driven off the road into this ditch and that he's tried to get his car out, but it's stuck. He told his dad that he wasn't exactly sure where he was, but that he believed he was close to the town of Lind. Where is this? In Minnesota. Okay, right. Thank you. So his parents headed out and told him to stay where he was and that they would come and find him. At that time, Brandon stayed with his car and stayed on the phone with his parents, even though they dropped the call a few times. Mm -hmm. He instantly called them back, so they basically stayed on the line the entire time. Since Brandon was staying with his car, he would occasionally try signaling his parents to his exact location by flashing his lights on and off, and his parents would do the same, but neither one of them saw anything. After a while of doing this, Brandon gave up. He told his parents that he could see lights off in the distance and that he was going to start walking to what he believed to be the downtown area of Lind. Okay. The town of Lind is roughly seven miles from his hometown of Marshall. He told his father that he would meet him in the parking lot of a local bar and wait for him there. So Brandon's dad, Brian, began driving there, talking to his son on the phone the whole way. 47 minutes into the call, which would be shortly after 2.30, Brandon interrupted their conversation saying, oh shit, and was silent for the rest of the call. His dad hung the phone up and tried calling back multiple times, but none of the calls were being answered. And since then, Brandon has never been seen again. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, let's go over what we do know. Brandon's friends knew for sure that he had at least one shot of whiskey at this gathering, but they all said that he didn't appear to be intoxicated at all. He left the party shortly after midnight, like I said before, and he intended to drive from the house in Canby to his parents' home in Marshall, and this should have only taken him about 30 minutes. But... 
at two. Yes. He was like, I'm in a ditch. So over an hour later at 1.15 is when his car initially got stuck in the ditch. He tried reaching out to his friends first, but nobody received any of his phone calls. So at around 1.54 a.m., he placed the call to his parents. The ditch that he got stuck in was off from a gravel road. And after Brandon set off on foot to meet his parents at the tavern in Lind, he told his dad that he was going to take a shortcut through some areas instead of walking along the main road at night. Okay. He kept his father updated all along the way, telling him that he was passing fences and more gravel roads and that he could hear water flowing in the distance. After the 47 minutes that they were talking, when Brandon interrupted the call and went silent, Mm -hmm. Brandon's dad, Brian, stayed on the line to listen, but he couldn't hear anything. He assumed that maybe his son had, like, slipped and fallen. And, of course, the parents continued calling back, but with no success. So by the following day, the rings were going straight to voicemail. They continued driving around looking for their son, but still couldn't find his vehicle anywhere, so at 6.30 a.m., they went to the authorities to report him missing. However, the police told them to wait. The Mm. reasoning was that it's common for men his age to avoid communicating with their parents. I'm rolling my eyes, but you can't see it. (laughs) So it wasn't until around noon that day that they finally began searching for him. When they pulled up Brandon's cell phone records, it showed that he had actually been near Porter, which is 25 miles from where he said he was and in a completely different direction. This information led to the discovery of his car at 12.30 that same day, and his car was located near Taunton. When they found his car, it was very, very stuck. Two of the wheels weren't even touching the ground, so there was absolutely no way that he was getting out of this ditch. But there was no damage to his car, and there was no indication that he would have been hurt in this incident. So nothing unusual was found at the site, but officers weren't able to determine which direction he went after he left on foot. There was high grass in the area, so they weren't able to see any footprints. So investigators brought in search dogs, and those dogs led them to a wooded area by the bank of the Yellow Medicine River. The depth of this river ranges from knee-high in certain areas to 15 feet deep in other areas, and at the time that Brandon went missing, the river was at high tide and was flowing quickly. There are two miles worth of river in this area, but the dogs kept indicating that Brandon may have fallen into the river. So they brought a team to search that area with the idea that if he had fallen in, he would eventually drift downstream. Not only did they search that area, but they also set up gates so that in the case that Brandon's remains or any of his belongings were still in the river, that it would get caught up in these gates and the investigators would have what they needed mm-hmm. to conclude the case. But they never found anything. What? In the months following his disappearance, there was search after search for Brandon Swanson. Law enforcement and volunteers set out on foot, they rode horseback, and they also used all-terrain vehicles. But sadly, no evidence of Brandon's whereabouts were ever found. Investigators settled on the idea that Brandon had probably slipped into the water and drowned, or that he could have made it out of the river, but possibly died of hypothermia as the temperature that morning was just under 40 degrees. But foul play was never ruled out. Or at least it couldn't be proven that that was his cause of death. Right. After all, they never located his body or any remains. Anything beside this car. Exactly. They also tested what would have happened to his phone if he were to have fallen into the river. 
We know that his parents were able to call his phone at least five or six times before it eventually began going straight to voicemail. So after getting disconnected, it seemed that his phone still appeared to be working for a certain amount of time. Once a phone is submerged in the water, all calls will go to voicemail. Although it could be believed that Brandon dropped his phone on the ground as he slipped into the water, but his phone was never discovered in or around any of the areas close to the river. Was there anything useful in his car? No, not at all. But another theory is this. Um, Brandon was legally blind in his left eye and had prescription lenses. So on the morning of the search, when they found his vehicle, investigators realized that he had left his glasses in the car before taking off on foot. Did he only have one pair? I don't know. That was my thought too. But this is just a theory from one of the firefighters that helped on the search team. So Brandon's dad also remembered that when he was on the phone with him, Brandon said, not another fence, just before saying, oh shit, in the line going dead. So this firefighter, he proposed the idea that maybe Brandon had fallen into an unmarked cistern, which I guess is pretty normal in rural areas. Wait, what? So cistern is a tank for storing water. Oh, and he may have fallen? Yeah, that's what this person is theorizing. Because he wasn't wearing his glasses. Because he wasn't wearing his glasses. The searches for Brandon Swanson continued for several years, but unfortunately yielded no results. Neither his body or any of his belongings have ever been found. Because of the response that Brandon's mother, Annette, received by the Lind police when she initially reported Brandon missing, she and Brian, Brandon's father, began lobbying for changes in state law that would require investigation into the case of a missing adult as soon as it's reported. After all that morning, she went in to report him missing. The police officer told her that Brandon had a right to be missing Mm -hmm. because of his age. I hate that. Yeah. Her response to this was, I'm his mother. I know that something is horribly wrong. She's like... That is horrifying to hear. Yeah. But, like, so true. Exactly. Like, yeah, okay, people have the right to go missing, but I feel like there needs to be better right, just guidelines or something. Exactly. So, thankfully, this new bill was introduced and passed and is now known as Brandon's Law. In Minnesota? Yes, in the state of Minnesota. Oh, so yeah. Silver lining, I guess. Well. Is that, that's it again? That's it. Yes, it's unsolved <laughs> mysteries, girl. That's what we're doing. (laughs) It doesn't seem right. I know. I just want a conclusion so bad. But yeah, these these are like things that will eat away at you. These are things that keep me up at night. So they... I want to know. They just... That's it. They They gave up the searches. And they're just wiped their hands of it. Said, well, we have no idea. So we're going to... I guess the investigator... I think he was the investigator. I guess he, like, walked the uh, riverbank every day for years. Really? In the hopes of finding something and never did. Or gaining at least some clarity of what might have happened, but we still have no idea. What the heck? Maybe one day we'll finally know. But until then, we'll be kept wondering. That is... That is weird. I don't understand it's these weird. things. It gives me the spooks. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. And the fact that they can't find anything. 
besides his car. Right. You, yeah, that's what, that's the strangest part to me, is if Brandon fell in the river and drowned, there would be a body. There'd be something. There'd mm-hmm. be his cell phone. They they did extensive searches of the riverbed. They, it's like, for years and years and years, like, how can you still have nothing? What was it's there? like he just vanished. Wow. Well, that is all we have for you today. So, hope you like unsolved mysteries. (laughs) Yes, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you want more unsolved mysteries, then let us know. Or something else. You know, what do you want? We're an open book. We sure are. do anything. Let us know what soothes your heart. Yes. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. And remember... To always keep keep it it spooky.